People in one U.S. city, Baltimore, is only 50 kilometers from the capital. Welcome back to the Knife of the Gunfight. I'm your host, Doc Fitz. And uh, since the last episode we recorded, a disgruntled young man walked into a high school in Parkland, Florida, outside of Miami, with a semi-automatic high-velocity assault rifle and proceeded to kill 17 people, including 14 students. Now, I was in high school when the Columbine shooting happened in Colorado, killing 12 students and teachers. And I remember how horrible and unprecedented this seemed at the time. Unfortunately, the only thing horrible about the most recent shooting is how commonplace these mass killings have become since the end of the assault weapons ban. However, the other notable difference after this most recent shooting was the prominence and importance of student organizing among the survivors of the Parkland shooting. Students such as Emma Gonzalez have not only put themselves at the forefront on the national stage of a political debate about gun control and ending violence, but they've been able to leverage this incident to significantly change public perception and work to change policies related to gun violence. However, students and those working with students in cities like Baltimore have notably felt a certain isolation after this most recent event because students have been getting killed on the streets of Baltimore for years without a national or even a state or even much of a citywide response. In 2015, for example, 22 school-aged children were killed in Baltimore. In 2016, it was 15. Even though last year it was only 12 children, that remains a Parkland-style massacre every year in Baltimore. Not surprisingly, Baltimore students have been active in organizing in the wake of the Parkland shooting, including a walkout and march to City Hall that the mayor herself was required to address. Furthermore, students have been communicating and organizing with a group of Chicago students to frame our work around gun violence through a lens of racial justice and understanding how systemic racism has threatened the lives of these students. I thought about this a week or two ago when I was in a classroom in West Baltimore with a performing arts troupe from Augusta Fell Savage Institute of Visual Arts. With this group of high school students, we discussed the epidemiology of violence and anti-violence intervention, and I also was able to witness their performances around themes of bullying, misogyny, and trauma. I remember at one point the teacher asked if every student who was comfortable saying so would raise their hands if they were survivors of potentially deadly violence or had lost a friend or family member to such violence. Not surprisingly, they all raised their hands. I was struck in this conversation and in their performances how brave they were to confront their own vulnerabilities and it made me realize if the students in this city are brave enough to organize for their own survival, will we be, as adults, brave enough to follow their lead? With that in mind, we reached out to the Renaissance Academy alum and Coppin State University senior, Samira Jones, who spent this last winter organizing Operation Heat. Along with former NFL linebacker Aaron Mabin, she helped organize to deliver some of the most basic resources to students struggling to study in Baltimore City schools including space heaters for classes with no, with no working heat and other basic necessities. And I think this work is compelling and important. So stay tuned. Most of us in Baltimore have lost somebody to Cause when the temp go up, the heat coming out. Summertime, cats in the street, straight dumbing out and 
stay shooting from sun up to sundown. All we're trying to do is get y'all to put the guns down and just walk it off. Better yet, talk it out before the yellow tape of crime scenes chalk it out. Cause when you lay in the hearse, ain't no reversing it. Your hand stays so got a permanent cursing at the worst of it. We stay killing our own, filling our chrome with bullets for cats who live in our zone. It's like we urban savages trapped in a zoo. City ain't safe no more. It could happen to you and pride. Got niggas riding in a coffin. Egos got babies surviving as orphans. Anger got mothers at funerals crying often. Preachers at the pulpit trying to soften. The pain fell when the heart get heavy. Cause the land getting deadly when your man's getting buried over beef that's stupid. Pointless, useless. The streets is deadly. Temperature set, I'm ruthless. Stop, stop dying over beef that ain't yours. Time to stop fighting over streets that ain't yours. Locked up in jail over heat that ain't yours. Spray the next barrier over east. Ain't yours. Stop dying over beef that ain't yours. Time to stop fighting over streets that ain't yours. Locked up in jail over heat that ain't yours. Spray the next barrier over east. Ain't yours. Welcome back to the Knife at the Gunfight. I'm here with Samira Jones. Samira, how are you doing today? I'm well. I'm well. Yourself? I, I'm good. I can't complain. And, you know, I met you uh, through a presentation that you and Aaron Mabin did at Coppin State. And uh, I want to give you some credit because for, I think, people listening to this show, a lot of people might know Aaron Mabin was a former NFL player from Baltimore who's also a really talented Mm -hmm. artist and got some national fame and prominence recently with a video of kids that he teaches in West Baltimore huddled in their classrooms in the cold and uh, and then some pictures mm-hmm. later on with him, uh, along with you and some other people organizing to get space heaters and other other resources to those school kids so they could be more effective. And I just wanted to give you the mm-hmm. credit for being one of, if not the person, that really started up that that campaign. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Mm-hmm. So uh, before we get to that organizing we're doing, I wanted to get to meet you a little bit. And can you just tell me a little bit about yourself, for example, where did you grow up? And, for example, where did you go to high school? Sure. So I actually grew up um, partially in Baltimore City, and then my mom's job relocated us to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, um, up until my sophomore year of high school, where I moved back down to Baltimore and attended Renaissance Academy, um, which is above Booker T on the west side of the city. Okay. And I'm familiar with yep. Renaissance Academy, and I've, I've done some guest lecturing there. I'm a little curious, how did you end up at, um, at that school? So when I first moved back to Baltimore, we lived with my grandfather, and he lived in Woodlawn. And so Woodlawn High School was considered my zone school. Um, however, like my first day at that school, there was fights going on and uh, just a lot of things that my mom didn't agree with, and she didn't want me going there. And so she fought really hard to get me to go to Western High School. But what ended up happening was my GPA wasn't high enough to be accepted into Western. And so we went down to the school board on North Avenue, and she kind of like just begged somebody, like, if you had to send your child to any school in the city, where would you send them? And at the time, you know, the leadership at Renaissance Academy, you know, had kind of built the name for themselves. And so they were like, I would definitely send her to Renaissance Academy. And so we went to Renaissance and immediately when I walked in the building, like the atmosphere was just different. I didn't feel like 
Um, you know, I would have a hard time adjusting. Everybody was really welcoming, really nice. It was it was just uh, an amazing place to be. And so I ended up there. And, you know, I first became aware of Renaissance Academy, I think, in 2015 or 16, because three students in a relatively small student body uh, were killed from gun violence in about a year. So uh, I'm curious to hear about your experience there. It sounds like you had a very positive experience. Yeah, so when I got there, it was under the leadership of Carl E. Perry. He's now the principal of Edmonton Westside High School. My experience was very different. Um, of course, Ms. Rowe and Mr. Perry had different leadership styles. Um, not to say one is better than the other, but <laughs> they just do things a little differently. Uh, Mr. Perry was, while very kind, very kind-hearted man, he would do anything for us. He was very strict. So there was a strict uniform policy. Um, there was a certain way we were to conduct ourselves and it was just like a zero tolerance policy and it was just a wonderful place to be like it was a it was a a family oriented environment you know it wasn't just school like I called Mr. Perry Uncle Carl (laughs) because that's how close we became and you know my experience I've I've grown I've learned a lot about higher education um, I've learned a lot about my community and, you know, what type of people reside in my community and how I can be of assistance to them. And they really just kind of nurtured um, that part of me and, and, you know, helped me to get to where I am today. You know, I'm in, I'm in college because of my guidance counselor who was always drilling in our heads, college, college, college. And they took their time and energy to ensure that whatever we needed, we got. You know, uh, whatever field trips we needed to go on, we we went. They they worked really hard at making sure that their students were well taken care of in and outside of the classroom. And so for me, you know, I really I really love my school because also Mr. Perry built Renaissance Academy in 2008. Hmm. So that was his school. And, you know, because I consider him my uncle, like I've always just been close and have been dedicated to Renaissance Academy and that it still stands, even though it's under different leadership. Uh, Ms. Rowe and I have begun to develop a relationship because when my little brother started going to Renaissance after I left, uh, Ms. Rowe followed him. And so we just kind of built a relationship and I recognized that, you know, she cared just as much as Mr. Perry did about the student. And, you know, from the stories I've heard that even though principals and teachers, you know, they cared. I've heard horror stories <laughs> about how some don't care. And Ms. Rowe definitely, definitely cares about the students so much so to the point where it kind of makes her physically sick because of, you know, the environment and the stress of... You're talking about Principal Nakia Rowe, who's been uh, very public and very out there and, and advocating for her students and trying to get resources. Um, I, I first heard yeah. of her, she was on the radio giving out her cell phone number. So I actually reached out to her, and that's mm-hmm. how I got in contact with Renaissance Academy. Yep. And, yep. Uh, She's a great one. And you, you were pretty successful there, is that correct? Yes. Yeah, so I graduated Renaissance Academy, valedictorian. There you go. Own it. Um, yeah. <laughs> I do. I do. It was, a, it was a long battle, but it was a, a fun battle. And now um, you're, you're If in, I could do it again, I probably would. And now you're in Coppin State uh, University, is that right? Yes, I'm at Coppin. Uh, when I first graduated from Renaissance, I went to Stevenson, and I went there with the intent of being a nursing major. Um, I was rejected from the nursing program, and their rule is once you're rejected, like, you can't be accepted anymore, so there's no point in applying. And so 
you know, I'm looking like, okay, well, nursing is what I want to do. Where do I go from here? And popping was recommended to me. And so I applied and I've been there ever since. And I found it very interesting when you were talking about contrasting your experience in school in Harrisburg in a predominantly white school with your experience mm-hmm. in in Baltimore City in a predominantly black classroom. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. So when I was in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, even the the atmosphere, like the atmosphere was different. The schools were different. They looked completely different. Uh, we could see through the windows. The hallways were clean. Um, we had up-to-date textbooks, all of the physical resources we needed to succeed in the classroom, even down to lunch. You know, we had options, <laughs> especially in high school. We had like a, a subway option. We had a chicken option. We had a pizza option, ice cream. There was, And then I come back to Baltimore and attend a renaissance. It's a smaller school, a much older building, frosted windows, so you can't really look out the windows. Um, the textbooks are old and beat up. Um, computers kind of outdated. The food smells horrible, tastes horrible. We don't have many options. And that's how it was, even down to, like, the quality of the education. When I got there in 10th grade, I remember being in an algebra class and wondering why didn't, you know, my peers know this information already because I had learned this stuff that we were learning back in 8th grade. So to me, it was like to learn this stuff two years ago and to see that you guys are still trying to grasp this information, I noticed a big difference in the quality of education and what we were being taught. I know in Pennsylvania, we were like maybe two grades above our reading level when I get back to Baltimore, and they're like below the average reading level. And you have memories of being in high school in Baltimore, and just like in those videos uh, from this winter, having your coat on and your gloves on just to try to stay warm while you're trying to learn. Is that is that uh, an accurate? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I almost forgot about that part. <laughs> we, when we were in school in Pennsylvania, we didn't have to worry about being too cold or too hot. When I got back here in the winter, sometimes the heat will work. Some days it's freezing. And even in the summertime, sometimes it's, it was sweltering in the building. Sweat, and, it's hard, and it's hard, very difficult to, you know, try to be studious in that type of environment where you're, you're cold and shivering. So it's like you want me to listen to you shiver at the same time and then on top of that we weren't really allowed to wear our coats and jackets because they went against the uniform policy mm-hmm. and so you actually had to purchase a sweatshirt or a sweater in order to you know wear something other than your uniform shirt in a classroom but some days it was just cold and you know it's, it's funny that this issue became so huge this year because we've been dealing with this for years and I think it's just the power of social media, you know, and that I, I, I make that the reason why this has been able to grow and develop and gain international attention. Definitely. And, and you make a good point, and this has been repeated by a lot of people I spoke to, that, you know, these conditions being described in the city schools are not new. Uh, but uh, Aaron Mabin and a couple of others were able to really put it in the forefront of a lot of people's consciousness that had been able to ignore it for years. So... That, frame, mm-hmm. that frames what happened. So fast forward then, how did you become aware of, of that uh, sort of social media campaign and then decide to do your own organizing around it? So uh, my sister is currently a student at Western High School. And my mom used to pick her up and drop her off every day. And one day I decided to you know, ride with them and pick her up. Well, when I got in the car, well, when she got in the car, 
you know, she's just shivering and whatnot. And I'm like, I know it's cold outside, but geez, you just leaving a warm building. And she's like, no, I did not. It's been cold in the schools all day. They barely wanted to let us wear our coats. Like it's freezing. And it kind of, it didn't go over my head, but I'm like, y'all still going through this? Like, I graduated like five years ago, and this is an issue then. It was an issue before I got to high school, and apparently it's still an ongoing issue. And so it sat with me for a few days, and I woke up one morning, and I'm scrolling on Instagram, and I'm seeing posts and the pictures of the students um, in their coats, hats. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like, it's that cold. It feels like they're sitting outside in the classroom. And so I felt like I needed to take action. And the first thought that came to my mind was, okay, well, I have a space heater. It heats up my room. It was $30. Let's see if we can get enough money to purchase these type of space heaters and then provide them to the classrooms while they're going through this situation. And so I started to go for me. And I asked my friend Val, could she help share it, send out the link, inform everybody. She was more than willing to do that. She also has known Aaron longer than I have and saw his video begin to go viral. And so she, you know, sent the link to him, asked him, would he be willing to kind of join us on this initiative? And so he did. And because of his platform, the GoFundMe went viral almost instantly. And what's that? Uh, tell us a little bit about that organizing. What does that actually meant for you um, and what impact do you think it's had? Sure. So initially... Mm-hmm. <laughs> so initially, it was really cool to see how many people were so willing to just give us money to help us get this done. You know, when I first got started, I wasn't expecting it to grow as large as it did, but it ended up skyrocketing. And so what I thought would be easy, breezy, beautiful, <laughs> turned out to consist of hours of hard, long labor, but you know, from people we've talked to who have been receiving the care packages that we've put together, they really appreciate the hard work and the dedication, you know, that we give to our community. It means something to them. So for me, if I could do this for the rest of my life, if that means like I'm taking care of a child who may not have the resources they need to sustain cold weather, you know, that's all I need pretty much, Simon. I can give whatever we can to those students. And do you have a, a sense of, of sort of how many schools or students or how many care packages and what is it that you've been providing? So we've been providing coats, hats, gloves, school supplies, clothes, feminine care products. Um, what else do I have in here? Tissue. Um, you know, J.R. Smith, his wife, donated some things from Sam's Club. She went out and I brought some water and cups and tissues for Aaron's school. You know, Amazon donated 400 coats. And so I'm actually standing in our in, in my sister's front room looking at all the rest of the boxes that are set to be delivered this week. And it's, it's over 40 boxes. You know, you made the point about the water, and people may not realize why that matters, but several of the school buildings have evidence of lead in the pipes, and so you're, the students aren't allowed to drink from the water fountain or whatever, right? So those are the mm-hmm. students who will benefit yep. from having clean water. Yes. So, yeah, the, the infrastructure of the school buildings are just poor. It's just time for renovation. And, you know, right now they have those uh, Deer Park water fountains that students drink out of, um, and they use pretty much a paper cone cup. Mm-hmm. But it's like the, the fact that you can't even drink out of a water fountain 
in your school building where you have to be for at least eight hours of your day is like ridiculous to me. I don't understand it. But, you know, we, we try to do what we can with what we're working with, but to also make sure that we can sustain this because I'm, I'm, I, I bet you, Simon, come next winter, we'll probably be dealing with the same issues again. Looking forward, where do you see this organizing you're doing? Where do you see it headed? So what we've done was establish a nonprofit entity. And right now we're in the process of uh, waiting for our tax-exempt status to come back so that we will be able to garner the resources we need to do this um, annually, if need be. Because I feel like it's important. We're doing this this one time, but what about next winter? Mm-hmm. You know, even what about the summertime? You know, what are they going to do then? And I'm not saying it because I'm trying to take on a whole lot because, you know, we're only three people. <laughs> but I'm just saying that because if, again, I need to launch Operation Heat, at least I have the text exempt status to reach out to different organizations to receive their assistance because so many organizations wanted to donate, but it was like, we're not a nonprofit entity. So it was like, they really (laughs) didn't get a benefit from it Hmm. or they wouldn't receive a tax break from it. And so we just want to make sure we establish an entity that's able to, or has the capacity to receive, you know, additional resources so that we can, you know, continue our efforts. Right. And, you know, I've I've said this to you, but I think it's worth sharing with everyone else. You know, I I focus my organizing efforts around trying to end violence. But I think your work is so vital to that because I think people underestimate how much we communicate with our actions and not just our words. And if we're sending sending kids to school where they don't have the facilities to learn, they, you know, aren't treated like their comfort matters, you know, they're freezing cold, they're hungry. Uh, they can't drink the water, they're getting a message that their life is not important, that their education is not important. And then uh, we can't then act surprised later on when some of them internalize that message and treat their bodies like their life isn't important or treat their neighbors like their lives aren't important. But the the other part of that is, uh, is there a way or how do we turn, you know, right now, you guys are organizing a stopgap, and I think it was really important for the kids who are cold in their classrooms. But how do we organize something transformative so we're not just trying to plug the holes in a leaky system, but actually building something that's you know taking care of our young people and building a future we can be excited about? Yeah. Um, in order to do that, you know what, Simon, it's, it's going to take a different approach. It's going to take for everybody the government, the community, everybody to come together to sit down as one, pour all our resources together and kind of revamp the whole thing. But I feel like it, it, it sounds really sexy, but it's, it's more difficult. It's um, yeah, it's definitely a lot of work. And you're dealing with you, our kids who are coming from different backgrounds with, you know, mental illnesses, drug abuse, violence. It's just so much. So it's like, how do you cure all of that, right? Hmm. And I believe the only way to really do it, you just got to work like one person at a time and just have to pour into one person, Um, like one student at a time, case in point, right? Um, I was at Frederick Frederick Douglass, I believe, over the last year, and a young man had walked out of the school building and he was sitting on the side and smoking a cigarette. And so, you know, I'm looking at my friend who's walking with me, and I'm like, hey, tell this young man, you know, put the cigarette out and go back to class. Like, what is he doing? And he was like, I can't tell this young man that this cigarette is going, you know, eventually kill him and that, you know, he'll have problems breathing. If he want to smoke it, let him smoke it. 
but we said it out loud so that he would be able to hear it. And the young man kind of said to us, he said, he said, you know, I really appreciate y'all telling me that because people don't care about me enough to even say something like that, to even let me know that a cigarette is bad. He said, so the fact that you said something just lets me know that you care because people don't care. And it kind of hit me another way because I'm like, wow. <laughs> like, like just that little bit of dialogue lets you know that somebody cares because nobody's really pouring into you in that way. Nobody's telling you how important your health is, um, how nasty drugs can be and harmful drugs can be to your body. Hmm. So it's just a lot. Like, it's a lot of love that they need that they're really not getting. I think it's an interesting moment thinking about Baltimore City students because, you know, we saw after the um, the shooting in Parkland, the, the students who were effective were able to sort of build a platform for themselves and amplify their voice and turn their grief into something potentially transformative. And, I th- you know, some uh, someone from the Baltimore Sun interviewed students, I think from uh, Excel Academy, where more than a handful of students have been killed in the last year. No, if we think about how many... St- High school students were murdered in Baltimore in the last year. I want to look at that statistic because I bet it's more than 17. So, uh, and we saw also in the last week, um, students organize on their own a big rally in front of City Hall, uh, focusing on issues of gun violence and um, firearm availability. But it sort of showed the potential, I think, of students organizing around their own survival. Mm-hmm. Do you have any thoughts about that? I do, and I think it's absolutely amazing to see them stand up, walk out of the class, and say, you know, hey, like, this is an issue. Because they have a right to do that. And how how many times do we have to, how can I say this, how long do we have to sit back and wait on our government officials or school board elected officials to try to do something about it and come up with, some type of solution to the issue. It's like like we're tired of it. You know, it's been years and years of dealing with the same issues, and there has been no solution to the problem whatsoever. So to hear that these students, you know, galvanize themselves to go march and to have their voices be heard says a lot to me because one, one of the goals of Operation Heat for me was to let the students know, like, you have a voice. And you don't have to wait for somebody to make a decision for you. Like, you are more than able to get up on your own, march down the city hall, and say how you feel and what you want and what you deserve. And so for them to actually do that, it's like, yes, <laughs> we're getting somewhere. Like it's, time, like, it's time for people to start listening to children. Because you don't, I mean, while you may think you know what they need, they're also human beings who go through things, who have certain experiences. And it's important that you listen to that in order for you to navigate your way to come up with a more viable solution to the problem. For sure. And I, I think for me, what the, yeah. the Parkland students kind of showed a proof of concept in that the voice of, of these students is potentially very powerful. Um, and so yeah. I'm trying to reach out to some of the organizers of this rally from last week and try to encourage um, especially city public school students because the uh, private school students, like at Friends, were very important in organizing this rally. Uh, but a lot of city school students participated. And um, I think there's a great potential if uh, city school students were had an organized network and were able to articulate uh 
issues around violence and survival, but also framed through the mm-hmm. lens of everything you're talking about, everything you're working on, taking their education and their lives seriously and demanding that, that those things mm-hmm. be prioritized. Yeah. So definitely, I want you to think on that a little bit, and if you have any ideas on uh, on how that can be more effective, um, I'd love to hear, mm-hmm. and I'll reach out to you if I learn anything more about what's going on with that. Sure. And I'm gonna also do, you know, my research and and keep up with what's going on, because I just I just find this time amazing. We now have students who are exposed to much more than previous generations, and so we internalize a lot more. And it's like how. I mean, at this point, it's like, can, can we do it ourselves? <laughs> but, you know, instead of really taking that route, we're really trying to have our voice heard. And so I'm going to do what I can, you know, to see, you know, what organizations are in the city trying to, you know, help students learn how to organize and, Dope. you know, begin to, you know, really have their voice heard. Um, and I do, I believe I have, I have a friend who is a part of this organization called Youth Up Next. And it's, I, I believe it's just beginning. I don't want to speak too much on it because I don't know a lot of details, but I'm definitely going to forward over his information to you so that, you know, you can check out what they're doing. But that's what's up. And we're trying to just take it in this direction, Simon, because this time, like, it's time for a serious change. I was just going to say, I noticed you put up on social media an event coming up for that group. Do you want to plug it real quick? Yes. So let me pull it up here. Youth Up Next is hosting an open mic, a youth showcase on March 15th from 5 to 8.30. Um, it will be at the Motor House on North Avenue. And if anybody is interested in viewing the flyer for more information, you can check out my Instagram page. Uh, my handle is Andrea, that's A-N-D-R-E-A underscore J-O underscore and his name is Rashard Statton, and I have him tagged in the post as well. And I'll link to all of that on my social media as well. But uh, more than that, what, what's uh, any thoughts? What's your future hold for you? Are you about to graduate Coppin? You know, where are you going from here? So, yes, um, I graduate May 19th at 3 o'clock from Coppin. That's what's up. Um, right now, yeah, ever since Operation Heat got started, it really put me in a place where I'm trying to assess kind of what am I here for like what's my purpose where do I go from here so I'm actually taking this time now to figure that all out and get my plans in place so that at least I'll know by the time I walk across the stage definitely and you know leverage your 15 minutes and your contacts and all the work that you've done to 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 be successful and keep doing this work because you earned it you know what I'm saying you put in that work yeah thank you so much Simon Whenever I'm interviewing people, I like to get um, some cultural recommendations. Have you thought about any uh, any books, music, performance, or artwork that you would want to recommend to me and my listeners besides the uh, up, Youth Up Next thing you already plugged? Yes, absolutely. You know, I'm always going to shout out Aaron Mabin and his book, Art Activism. Um, it consists of his art, um, his artwork, his paintings, his photography, his poetry. Um, you got to also check out, you know, our local artists like Conjuani Fidel and his book, uh, Dwight Watkins, his books. Um, Kyle Pompey has a great book called... Um, I believe it's called Baltimore Perspective, but it's just a collection of photographs, but it gives its readers the chance to create their own narrative based upon how they see the photographs and the stories. Definitely. And these are all books so, these are all books that I've managed to get my hands on recently and been promoting, so I'm right there with you. I agree with you. 
I have, uh, usually I recommend books, but I've been recommending so many, I, I've gotten ahead of what I've already read. So, um, but I will say in the last year since I moved back to Baltimore, I've been doing a deep dive into Baltimore hip hop. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, with, uh, I'm sure these are almost all names that you're familiar with, but if you hear anyone that you don't know, definitely look it up and take a listen. But, you know, obviously with a nod to K-Swift, uh, the late Lord Scooter from the West Side, Young Moose on the East Side, my friend, uh, son mm-hmm. of son of none, uh, the journalist mm-hmm. and, and uh, rapper Easy Jackson, and I've also mm-hmm. been I've also been touched by how the Baltimore hip hop community has really embraced the ceasefire movement, um, and all the mm-hmm. people who uh, participated in a mixtape uh, like Greenspan and TT the Artist were both so dope, and I think on the edge of Nash of a national reputation as well as Ab Rock, whose um, anthem, Ain't Yours, has become uh, sort of the, the ceasefire anthem. Are, are those all old names yeah. to you? So of course. I, they, they, they're all familiar to me. All right. And also, yep. the one another uh, uh, sort of cultural production that I haven't mentioned on my show is the, the theater scene in Baltimore, which I think is also kind of exciting right now. Um, we're in a moment where I think... Baltimore has always struggled with segregation, uh, you know, with, with housing and education, but also culturally. And there have been like very separate white and black, like DIY do-it-yourself theater scenes that are starting to like come together and realize that potential of, of collaborating. Um, recently, the arena players who have been kind of a DIY artistic collective that's been predominantly black since the days of segregation. I think they were founded in 1953 teamed up with the Acme mm-hmm. Corporation and the Baltimore Rock Opera Society and uh, having some really fun and interesting uh, shows at their theater right off of MLK. Um, and nice. also, yeah. also if, if you have a chance to check out, Art Centric is a group uh, based uh, from uh, graduates of Morgan State, uh, the, the Eastside HBCU. Uh, and they've been doing performances at the Motor House uh, last season, uh, they did Memphis, which I saw and was awesome, as well as Sister Act, which I didn't see but sold out. Um, th- mm-hmm. Their season starts in May, but they have uh, auditions starting in March. So if you have any friends looking to get into theater, definitely check that out. I definitely will. Baltimore is definitely like the, the major art scene right now in all aspects, from music, photography, painting, theater, dance, everything. Baltimore is just really what I like to consider lit right now. And people are sleeping on us too. So people are sleeping on us. They don't know about it outside of, outside of the outside of the city. Yeah, but eventually they will. They'll catch well, on. We're gonna make too much at a certain point. They'll catch on. <laughs> definitely. They'll well, definitely catch on. Well, I want to thank you for taking the time today. Anything else you wanted to add uh, before I, I, I let you loose? Um, the only thing I would like to say to my listeners is be encouraged to like you know, take a stand for your community and, you know, be heavily involved. And, you know, even the, the, the slightest action you take towards trying to better somebody life makes a big difference. And so just be encouraged. Um, take, take every opportunity you can to, you know, make somebody else life better because you end up making your life better and you'll feel good about it. But that's the type of wave I'm on is always helping somebody and, you know, paying it forward. So if I could leave your listeners with that, Simon, it would be just that. Just pay it forward. Dope. And I have to say, I appreciate the work you've been doing. I've been touched by it. And uh, I've enjoyed talking to you. So I'm glad you took a little bit of time to talk to me on the air. Sure. No problem.
I will. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. We wish you the best. We're going to keep a lookout for you and uh, and look forward to opportunities to collaborate in the future. Absolutely. Same here. All right. Well, take care. It would be wonderful if we could live in a city sans violence. Thanks again for joining us. And special thanks again to Samira Jones for taking the time to talk with us. In case anyone was disappointed to have missed that Youth Up Next event that Samira mentioned, don't worry, you're in luck. It's now scheduled for March 21st at the Motor House on North Avenue. That music that you heard during this episode was Abrock's Ain't Yours, the Baltimore Ceasefire Anthem. So thanks again for tuning in. And if you like the show, go ahead and subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast medium. And while you're at it, leave us a rating and a comment. It goes a long way. So, thanks again for tuning in. Hope to see you again next time. Violence, no murder, no um, harm. Now, the ceasefire is from August 4th to the 6th. 72 hours of peace. The shooting is full of teddy bears on the ball from people getting shot in broad daylight before your eyes. We can at least create peace where we live.